0: barbecues are passion and that's just what you'll get where the can burns is a
1: barbecue or tales from the pits
2: howdy welcome to another episode of tales from the pits outside edition this is brian and andrew and today we are here with christopher Prieto. and chris you are with prime barbecue in nightdale north carolina and we're in outdoors and some wonderful weather here, which is not, not very Houston-like, but right. that's great. Right, gorgeous
0: spot, beautiful new building that you guys built from the ground up. And we're going to get into everything that's going on here now and maybe going on in the future. But let's uh, let's kind of take it back to the beginning because you've got Texas roots, and that's you know a lot of what has influenced what you're cooking today. So
1: tell us about growing up. What were your barbecue memories or cooking or eating barbecue around Texas? Sure. So uh, my, my, actually my family's from Puerto Rico, my father and my mother, and uh, they, my father decided to get his PhD at Texas A&M, which is in Bryan, Texas. So actually I was born in Bryan, Texas and uh, I am an Aggie because if you're born to an Aggie, you're just an Aggie. Um, So I lived in call station to, I want to say three, four. And then my father's first job was in uh, oil and gas with Shell. And he moved us to a small obscure town outside of Houston called Richmond Rosenberg. And I lived in a smaller neighborhood called Pecan Grove. And, uh, there my father started working with the, uh, with the lab out in Shell. And then I just remember him one day being, he's a very reserved person. So his enthusiasm for something is like very rare. And he was super enthusiastic about this cuisine called barbecue, because obviously that doesn't exist in Puerto Rico. And his place that they took him and still shell goes here a lot is Dozier's in Folchner, Texas. And it's, uh, it's an amazing place. As kids, I was coming on. I remember I was five years old at that time, and we called it the barbecue place with candy because... <laughs> you, when you go in, it's like this awesome, like little grocery store slash gas station slash meat market. And in the very back right corner, it's just a couple of tables. I, I think it was like five or six tables. They slice barbecue. And when we walked in, my dad said, Hey, if you eat your lunch today, I'll buy you a piece of candy. So that's kind of where that came <laughs> from. I remember going in the back and just being fascinated by the smell alone, just the smell of barbecue draws you in right yeah. and, it, Even and it soaks into the walls and it does so and it's, it's so very nostalgic you don't forget the first time you smell that i think we are drawn and built to understand and love cooking over fire there's nothing like it i mean we can all love italian some of us could love indian uh korean food but everyone loves barbecue
0: it's a it, primal it, sense. It's yeah. a, it is yeah. a
1: primal sense, especially when it's rendered properly and it hits your lips. And in this case, it was that I remember holding myself up and looking at the board and then just seeing this big, black, beautiful brisket sitting there and then them cutting it with this, well, it's a scimitar, but a big, long knife. And when they opened it and turned it, were cutting the lean. I was just like, oh, my goodness. And it was really fascinated with the rendering of fat, seeing it trickle down. Mm-hmm. And and you've got the the sounds as well of of the knife hitting the cutting board. It's all of those senses. so many, like, nuances to the moment that, you know, as a kid, you're very simple in thinking. I like to play outside. I like to eat candy. And I love to bug my brothers. And that was about it. But then it was just this one moment in time where I paused and I became completely infatuated with this brisket. And I remember them cutting it and it was an arrangement. I just remember focusing on the brisket and they had pickles and onions on the tray, which I found fascinating. My dad explained it to us and we didn't eat with forks. So we, I remember being allowed to eat with my hands and like picking up the brisket and pulling it apart. And it was that first bite of brisket where I was like, it was, it pushed me to the edge of just, I felt connected to it, honestly connected to it. And I could, I I could sync with my dad's enthusiasm. Part of it was my dad's enthusiastic about this. I want to love it too, because I want to be my dad's best friend. But secondly, I personally love this. And I remember him buying us the candy and driving home. And that was like our obsession. My brothers and I, we wanted to go to Dozier's and it was, it's not next door. You have to pack everyone in the station wagon and you're driving to the barbecue place with candy and you smell the smell and everything gets exciting and you get all pumped up and like your enthusiasm goes and your adrenaline goes and it was amazing. Uh, after that was my, our favorite spot, but locally speaking our favorite spot that my dad started taking us to a swinging door barbecue. And that honestly was the place I went to the most just because if anyone came into town visiting, we'd always sit at swinging door, had the same jukebox. I played the same old country on it. (laughs) My dad would give us all a quarter. They'd have that bar, which to me, looked like it was 20 feet up in the air when I was a kid where there'd be these old Texans because you know, it was ranch area. It was tons of cows around Pecan Grove. And you'd see them with their boots and they'd be drinking a Budweiser or a Shiner and just sitting there and so cool looking. And you see these a much table bigger clock. place and Dozier's are well. yeah. yeah. a lot bigger. It was a lot bigger. It just it had more room. There was a dance hall being built at that time in the back. You could get the bread and throw it to the ducks. It, you know, you there's this aura around swinging door when you sit and they bring you the hot barbecue sauce with the bread. And right. The pickles and the onions. That's like your your uh, accouches, mo- like your your tasting. Like that's how it gets it started. And my sauce actually is from my memory of swing and Door sauce. So I cooked this obsessively till I could replicate that memory. So much so that I would eat there a lot and take their sauce and try it and try to duplicate it. Same with the rib profile. My ribs and the chicken were my favorite thing there. Unbelievable.
0: I mean, especially back at that time, you know, I grew up in the same area. Pecan didn't have many restaurants, period, let alone barbecue. Right. Yeah. So that was really the spot that anyone probably within a five, ten mile radius of, of that restaurant. That was that was the congregation spot whenever families would go
1: to eat. And you'd see all the other families there. Like the community and then I aspect, learned from yeah. day one the importance and the value of a local barbecue restaurant. How it literally draws the community together. And that's where you see other families. That's where you celebrate birthdays. That's where you go after you know, you get good grades at school. It was a treat. And you would go there for a barbecue, but you ended up staying like two more hours because you're sitting with families and talking and there was just, and then I always remember hearing the dance hall in the background <laughs> and then like peeking around the corner. Cause you had to go through my favorite room was this big room. If you had enough people, you sit in the back and if you've ever been in swinging door pass, go through the front door, keep on going straight, go past the bar and there's this private little back room before the dance hall where there's all these like stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. And it was frightening at first when I first saw it. But then as a kid, you're like, oh, can we get this room? And if you had enough people or there was the right person in town that ate with you, you'd always get that back private room. And that was a super special memory for me. Um, you know, swinging door nostalgically only uses pecan wood. We lived in a neighborhood called Pecan Grove. One of my first jobs was picking pecans out of pecan trees and getting them into a sack and taking them to a local pecan pie shop where they would pay the kids per pound. That was my first entrepreneurial business that I did. And when you're a kid, you climb pecan trees. They were everywhere. And you would eat a pecan and then you go to a swinging door and you smell that pecan wood burning. You taste it. It's a deep, rich, nutty, distinctive style of smoke that's deep in those ribs, that's deep in that brisket. And it's something I'll never forget. You know, and and talking about
2: like the community aspect, you mentioned that as well, it, it just strengthens those memories over time where you, you always want to come back to that as well. The older you get and, and i mean example of that, but the older you get, the more you strive for that. You know, my, my parents are both gone and so coming and eating barbecue with the rest of my family and setting that generational aspect right. um and, and that, that's what you're doing here as well, and we'll talk about that. Um, but after, after getting into barbecue and, and being fascinated with it, you eventually went into the competition scene. I did. a very different type of barbecue. Yeah.
1: yeah. So uh, I cooked barbecue and ate barbecue my whole life. And that was my obsession and my passion. I didn't realize its purpose until college. And, you know, I went to college. My, my dad, oil and gas got cut off in Houston. So he lost his job. And uh, he had to get a job in Florida, which is unusual because we don't leave the state of Texas. So here I am as a sophomore in high school and I had to be transplanted to Florida. And that lasted two years. And that was the most obscure part of my life, which I don't really talk about because I never felt right in Florida. There's no here pecan trees, there's there's no none pecan of that. There's no yeah. there's no value of barbecue. There's no value for like state love and tradition. There was no good mexican food no one knew who salina was you know <laughs> i mean are you crazy no one goes to the rodeo i mean there's just so much embedded in you yeah, it's a fish out of water scenario it for was sure. just really unusual i, I didn't surf I, you know I, I saw the ocean for the first time without oil in it you know <laughs> and uh, i could actually go in the water it's just a very unusual transition for me as a child and my my parents saw that it was very difficult for me in my adolescence trying to grow into the Florida scene. My father ended up getting transferred in biofuels up to Franklin to North Carolina, which is Wake Forest. It's a small town, probably 10, 15 minutes outside of Raleigh. I ended up and my brother ended up staying because we got scholarships to go to college. So my brother went to Florida state. I went to a small university in Tampa called St. Leo university. Um, again, fish out of water. I just still never felt comfortable. My calling was to cook. Um, I did, in one of my dishes here I attribute to my time in Tampa is the obsession over the Cuban sandwich, which we'll get into that dish later. But uh, once I moved back in with my parents, I actually dropped out of school and uh, my mother was fell ill. So I, I came up to Raleigh to take care of her and I really started focusing on, hey, I need to barbecue like this is what I'm supposed to do. I found out about Kansas City Barbecue Society, and you can do these professional contests. So I spent months and months and months training for my first contest, which was in 2004, Lumberton, North Carolina. And all the all-stars of today happen to be at that contest. So how I survived it, I have no idea, but I had no idea what I was doing. What were you um, cooking on at the time? I was <laughs> honestly, what I could afford and what I did on the fly was I bought two char grillers. Cause there were 150 each and I modified them like any barbecue back in the day, you modify your cookers, you know, I extended the stack down into the cooker, I, ceiling uh, sealing of it. Yeah. The, yeah. 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 Because the, the stack doesn't go up. You needed it to go down so you can draw more heat and then just really, um, learning, making my own fire baskets, which I was doing that long before anyone came out with fire baskets for charcoal grills. and. Uh, just really understanding what I'm trying to do here. It's a different style of barbecue too, because they're really focused on, you know, the beef tasting extremely beefy. So when I started finding my competition profile before going out, I I realized this is nothing like what I grew up with. You know, the ribs are super sweet, almost like candy, red apples, the chicken, the same, and it's only chicken thigh. And then the brisket, you know, they require burnt ends. It's not needed, but burn ends is what, you know, makes you go to the top, the cream to the top. The briskets injected, super beefy. Then I started really, the weirdest thing was just cooking pork. Because in Texas, I'll cook a pork butt or a pork steak, but really a, a pork butt isn't a ma- major focus. And that was probably, that and ribs were the two most difficult things to really focus on. But... Uh, My first contest, I won sixth place chicken. I'm gonna tell you what I used. I used uh, Plowboys, Yardbird. I used um, raspberry vinaigrette Ken's as the marinade. Mm -hmm. Then I took raspberry vinaigrette Ken's and I added honey and ketchup to it. So literally, I can show you my first comp pictures. It looks like a pink, red chicken thigh. (laughs) And it was absolutely disgusting. And I remember, I think there was walnut in that dressing. But uh, I just needed to get that color that I've seen other competition cooks use, not knowing the secrets to it. And I won Six Place Chicken. I got my little tiny trophy, and I was so pumped about it. I mean, here I am. The most important thing about competition barbecue isn't winning the trophy. It's being around brethren and family that is obsessed and thinks about barbecue just as much as you do to a molecular level. And we're all out there from a competitive standpoint, but we're all out there to cook barbecue and celebrate it for the two days we have win or lose. It's still a great day. And, and that that difference it, and it keeps getting
2: tighter. The difference between the, the, the first place and the last place just keeps getting tighter and tighter it, Yeah. the level of competition. I mean, it, it, especially from your time to now it we we don't enjoy eating competition barbecue yeah. nobody does we've tried to do competition barbecue ourselves and and we we have place but not at a not at a kcbs event um, but we totally respect the level of effort that it takes to produce that product but it's just not the same thing you want to go eat at dinner
1: that's correct so I always say there's certain uh, winks to my competition tactics within my barbecue now uh, I love co- cooking competition barbecue because you have to be so precise and it's literally by the second you have a 30 minute window to turn in perfect barbecue. Every judge or six judges at a table gets that one bite of it. So you, your job is to tell your story in one bite, how hard you work, how much you practice, how your profile, why it fits, how accurate your pit is, how you selected your wood to burn properly, get the right nitrates on there to get that flavor profile, right? Not only do you have to do that once, but three more times and you have to consecutively consistently do that across the board to win your grand champion. That's a very difficult thing to do. I was just happy with my first place in this one category, but it, it it it's taxing, right? It's taxing on you because I did it for 14 years. So if you ask me how old I am, I'm 92 (laughs) years old because I go by barbecue years. I don't talk about, you know, how old I am, which is 39 now. But literally, I have competition teams last maybe three years, five if they're lucky, if they have a sponsor. And what really accelerated barbecue was 2006, in my opinion, when YouTube really started making its leaps and bounds. And people, I remember... There was a team, I won't disclose it, would sell these journals that they put together of their pictures and their profiles, and they would sell you a journal at a competition. And you can buy that journal for a lot of money. <laughs> That's, now you can take a competition class just about anywhere in the world, and you get a jump start. Right. Right? I mean, barbecue is accelerated. Well, the, the, the availability of videos and oh, books. Oh, I mean, that didn't exist back then. Yeah. You yeah. can be a great barbecuer in two years. Yeah. Yeah. You give anyone two years worth of training, and boom, they're going to have a craft-made, popular, line-out-the-door barbecue place. But there are the distinctive nuances to understanding the tradition that you have to layer in. And that's what the hot places will uh, be real popular. Yes. But 10 years from now, maybe not. Yeah. Because you're always going to go back to your roots. My roots are Swingin' Door Barbecue, Dozier's Barbecue. That,
0: that's one thing Brian and I have talked about a lot recently is we've, we have eaten barbecue from places that are doing Texas barbecue outside of Texas, and the people cooking it have never set foot inside of Texas. That's right. And, and the barbecue's excellent. It's excellent barbecue because, again, the resources are out there now that weren't there before. You were kind of at the forefront of that competition scene that was starting to come up during that time. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to, to get out of the competition world?
1: That's a great question, and not too many people ask me that question. Um, you know, when you get your first grand championship or your first place award, it's the best, most exhilarating feeling of your life. One of my favorite was getting my perfect one eighty in brisket. That was one of my life goals. It's it's just satisfying, and the 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 awful thing about being satisfied is always temporary. You know, you you get congratulatory by each contest member. You check your Facebook so you can post your grand championship or your first place awards. And then you put the trophy in the back of the truck and you start driving and you're mentally exhausted. And then you feel the same as you did before you won the trophy. It's a very temporary feeling. And then I started looking at all the plastic and glass around my house. Some of it broken, some of it not. But it never stared back at me and said, you're, you're enough. This is what you, you, know, this is the end game. I looked at it and thought it has to be more. I, there's a reason why I'm called to barbecue. And when I stared at the trophies, I knew it was never going to be that. Now I give all validation at KCBS and how they ran things and how they grew barbecue and how they got barbecue pitmaster started and all these great things. And it instilled in me the discipline and the competitive nature and, and honestly, just the, the, uh, momentum to be great. But for me, I started seeing people who were, I mean, literally gods of competition barbecue. And then afterwards they're doing nothing they just have a buttload of world championship trophies and they're just sitting around and i just didn't want to going be back that. to a different job sometimes that yes, had nothing so to do with i started yeah. teaching barbecue that was a, a big focus of mine and i actually was coined the barbecue nerd because i started teaching barbecue to people for no apparent reason I found a, a spice shop in Raleigh called Savory Spice Shop. When they opened, they were, they were uh, Houston for a while. Yeah, yeah. great, yeah. great business owners. Um, th- these are independent owners, Bob and Cindy. They're phenomenal human beings. And uh, they gave me my chance. They said, hey, why don't you te- teach a class here? I found so much value by just a person being there. Hey, I like to barbecue. Let me teach it. But it, it's like I would not just teach it. I would say a sermon about it because it oozed out of my soul. Like it was so uh, weaved into who I am that it made people go and do. And then when they went and did, they would be changed and they would say, Oh, it was all for that class. I was like, this is going to be, this is my calling to teach and to inspire. And then, um, by happenstance, I happened to teach a class for a wounded warrior class. And to tell a very short but impactful story about that, my first wounded warrior class, I, I've never taught wounded warriors, never shot a gun, never served in the military. So it was an unusual thing for me. You learn about wounded warriors and then you start learning that they have these service dogs, you know, they have PTSD. And I was just like, well, wow, I don't think I'm qualified for this. I actually was saying that to my wife. I don't think I'm qualified to teach these soldiers what to do and uh i remember my first class praying before going and teaching them like help me find a way to connect with them because i have nothing in common with them and that was my thing with barbecue is my connection with people you know when they they had a bunch of gas hog cookers when i arrived to do the sides so i had my beans on there and uh, and i had them all rolling I had a class getting ready and the first soldier i met it was very unusual service dog, you know, PTSD. I could see it all and he's talking to me and I remember going, this is a bigger job than I'm qualified to do, you know, but I always remember that the Lord doesn't put things in your path that you're not qualified to do. He doesn't give you more than you can do. So he was talking to me about the hog cooker and I was showing it to him and I was like, yeah, you know, this is what a hog cooker is. The stacks are in the middle. So it draws to the center of the pig. And then as he started to walk away, I'm very dyslexic. So I only pay attention one thing at a time. I remember my forearm feeling like an immense amount of heat, but all I did was open the cooker and I don't remember anything after that it was a big white flash with well, the cooker gas, uh, the, the fire went out and that cooker filled with gas and the gas, the cooker turned into a bomb and it exploded and I exploded with it and I lost all the skin here on my arm. I actually inhaled. Uh, fire and it burned my esophagus and i just remember waking up just flash woken up and i didn't know why i was on the ground or what was going on but i remember that soldier sitting over me just talking to me hey i'm really excited about the class and i was like i am too Why am I laying down oh you just want to take a break okay cool and as i started trying to speak to him like my throat started just seizing up and i could Taste the hair going down the back of my throat. It was an excruciating feeling, and I could start feeling just warm. But I hadn't seen my arm yet, which was a piece of charcoal. And my one of my right hands, Mister Albert, who's a trained fireman, came up and he just started taking my pulse. And I'm like, Albert, what are you doing? He's like, Hey, can you hear me? I hear you just fine. What's going on? The ambulance came and they immediately gave me morphine, like shot it right in me. And if you've ever had morphine the world slows down to like this liquid state just like a soldier receives on the battlefield like you are trying your brain is trying to comprehend what is going on but it's moving so slow you're just more paying attention to what's going like why is this so slow and then i remember them wrapping my arm and putting a neck brace on me and taking me to the hospital and i'm sitting there in the burn unit And they started cleaning my arm and, you know, cleaning my face. And I started sitting there like, what is in the world is going on? Well, uh, I went back to the class after I left the hospital to talk to the soldiers. but I was on morphine. I had no idea what I said. I just told Albert I had to say hello to those soldiers, went back home. And, you know, my wife could not come in the room to see me, which I thought was unusual. You know, I laid there in pain, and I'm like, Marsha, please come." And she was so distraught that she couldn't come in the room to see me. You know, when you leave one person and come back another, it rips apart families. And I, I couldn't understand why can't my wife come? Like I'm on drugs. My arm is like four feet thick. You know, my hair's gone. What's going on? And Then I had to be cleaned three times a day, you know, my wounds. I mean, if you've ever had a serious burn, it is the worst pain of your life. The weird part about it was soldiers from that class started showing up to my house and just sitting beside me in bed, sending me notes of encouragement. I didn't realize what a unit looks like till I had to go through that excruciating pain. I had to go through that pain in that moment to truly be connected with them, to understand this is how we live. This is what happens. You're there to do your job, and then one day it just ends. And then you wake up a whole different person. And they knew what that pain was. And they came to me and and bound themselves to me. And right then and there, I said, I'm going to live my life serving this military. This is what I'm truly called to do. Barbecue is no longer for me to be self-satisfied, for me to gain awards, for me to be the best barbecue. Barbecue is a tool to connect with people and to drive something deeper. And that's when I started dedicating the, the last nine years of my life to the military. And through those classes, I started gaining my unit. Soldiers that I would meet, Justin Raup who came uh, and you met early, he'll be bringing some barbecue. He was a student in that class and he's like, I, I want that. I want barbecue, I want unity. And through those soldiers I built together, we built Prime Barbecue, specifically for the purpose of driving unity and community together and serving, most importantly, our military through what we do.
2: And and we see you're still, obviously you're still very connected to that. We saw the, the soldiers as you walk out. You know that's just such a tight bond and and barbecue brings it all together with the community aspect
1: as well. It does. You know, I I came to the realization just teaching uh, veterans and hearing their stories. I did not ask one veteran, not one, to sacrifice themselves and their lives for me. Not one. Didn't have to do that. They did that because it's their duty. And then also to the fact that when they come home, They're not going to say, hey, I need you to value and honor my sacrifice. You see, that's our duty as civilians to do that, especially for a small business owner, We need to tie to that spoil of war. Tithe our money, our time, discounts, veteran parking. We need to have veteran hiring. We need to have veteran honoring. Because honestly, it doesn't matter how good of a barbecuer I am. It doesn't matter how good of a business person I am. It matters because I have opportunity. And these military folks gave that to me every day since I was a little boy, I wanted to be a barbecue man. And none of that could have been achieved without their sacrifice. So that's one thing we honor extremely highly here. That's why we're the Eagle with the shovel full of coals. And that's why we do the things we need to do, not because we, want to represent the military it's because it's my sole duty as someone who lives in the united states and someone who has a small business
2: and we've we've seen you know one of the one of the great aspects of that as well are the military individuals that are running barbecue businesses right and um, you may be aware of Patrick Feigis, one
1: of my favorite
2: fellas. That, I love that man. You know, and came into barbecue, yep. you know, from the other direction of yep, that. That's but, right. But found that bond in barbecue. Yeah. Which that is
1: great. dude's that dude's a straight up hero, and he wouldn't say that about himself as most people don't. He did it because it's his duty. Right. And I'm just grateful to spend time with him, not because he's a great barbecue person or chef. He's just a great human being. Him, him and his wife are just great human beings. In addition to being great barbecue chefs, so we follow, and, and and are passionate about the same things, and that unites us. His right. sacrifice unites us.
0: There there are a lot of great veteran-owned barbecue businesses, especially in the Houston area, just sure. because that's where we're from. I know, uh, you know, Russell Regels is an Air Force veteran. That's right. Yeah, uh, that dude rocks the house. Yeah, I mean West Westrena, uh, formerly a Papa Charlie's, uh, another combat veteran, and then of course, you know, bringing it back to Dozers, Jim Buchanan running Dozier's, is running Dozers, is another veteran. So, and there's. Thank you. I'm eating a burnt-in, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, cheers. Wow. Mm-hmm. The first brisket we've had this entire trip. Mm-hmm. And there's no good segue for that.
1: No, but that is a phenomenal burnin'. Yeah. So our brisket, I've had a long-standing relationship since competition barbecue with Creekstone Farms. Uh, for I mean, we're talking about 15 years plus. We've done private events with the CEO. Uh, we do lots of events with them. I only believe in using the best product possible. I don't really care if it's better than this. In competition barbecue, it helped us elevate our game. And then I'm just going to maintain that same quality when it comes to you know, the beef we serve here. Uh, you know, We use the non-antibiotic, non-hormone beef. It's very important to us. One from the consumer standpoint too. I just love the beefier flavor it provides. Um, it's very consistent um, and it's you know they just don't diminish quality we don't cherry-pick our briskets when it comes to trying to s- find the prime best we just we've always known the best and we just stay to it our, our sausage the same thing it's made with Creekstone Farms trimmings uh, we use uh, a pork our pork comes from the uh, the brisket side of the pork rib um, Pork ribs, Compart Duroc Family Farms, same with a pork shoulder. We use that all and through competition. Creekstone and
2: Duroc are,
1: are absolutely winning combinations. Yeah. 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 And yeah. and it's very consistent product. Every time someone wants to sell me a rib, I say, cool, yeah, absolutely. We'll totally cook it. And then we're going to do a blind taste test. And I don't want to hear they're really close. These are both really good. I want better best. Give me better best. And you have to vote. You know 100% of the time they always choose our product? 100% of the time. So um, with the ribs are nostalgically only cooked over pecan wood. You can smell it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. It's very, very deep in it. Um, The brisket has a pecan oak blend. Sausage is pecan. Uh, Turkey is pecan. Pork is pecan oak. Um, When it comes to the rub, you know, traditional salt, pepper, rub. uh, I do a competition secret glaze on it um, where I sun dry brown sugar. And if you've ever taken a private class of mine to show you this process, my dad helped me develop this process of um, sun drying the brown sugar and creating a powder out of it, and then utilizing that into a glaze.
2: And what I like about the ribs, they're not overly sweet. No. You know, but they're much much more complex than just salt and pepper. Um, they've got it. They've got a sweetness to them, but yeah, it's it not should that be. Glaze. No. It yeah. should
1: be more later. You yeah. know, I you can't take away from a salt and pepper crusted rib. I mean, that's no. Uh, that that allows the rib to tell a story and it allows the meat to not be hitting with a glaze it, it's one thing we've seen a lot of lately
0: in barbecue is people are going more towards the sweeter kind of almost a competition profile in some of them and it's to me it's too much you can only eat maybe one rib and you're done with them
2: yeah i mean between the care of the rib and the tallow on the brisket it's it's so rich that you're mm. coming away with that
1: i can only eat a few bites. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the especially with ribs, you know, everything has to be more Instagrammable and more talkable, you know, so I think that's where the peacocking comes into play. I talk a lot about peacocking because I can tell when you're just peacocking and there's actual like point pointed um, flavor there. So we just keep our stuff as traditional as possible. Uh, The sauce is only on the side. I only have one sauce. I know a lot of people do a lot of sauces in my cookbook, The Ultimate Book of Barbecue. I do a ton of sauces there. But my sauce is to reflect a swinging door profile.
0: That's exactly why I had to taste it with the spoon. Yeah, like so it,
1: it, it's it's peppery. Uh, red wine vinegar is my base, um, you know, and we just go towards the profile of only being a nice enhancement. It has good viscosity, yeah. which is a key to me. Uh, you know, it allows something to be glazed but not thickened by the barbecue. So you can literally drape it on your rib if you want to drape it. But uh, you know, it was a very difficult challenge to bring it to a process or a, um, a co-packer because we have to go through a lot of iterations of how this is going to be. Uh, with our pork, we do a little something different. There's a little more comp profiles in there. Again, we're utilizing sun-dried brown sugar as a finishing spice uh, where it's, again, a light, mainly heavier salt than pepper. Sorry, we're Neanderthals. Sun-dried here. brown sugar. That's why I'm going to keep talking so they can keep eating. <laughs> <laughs> again, uh, uh, a comp part du Uh Pork shoulder there. Uh, we have the normal cushions monts. we pickle the pickles pickle the pickled onion the white onions aren't pickled obviously um and you serve both white onions and pickled red onions, yeah and yours. and yeah. It, honestly the pickled red onion allows it to have that eastern carolina flair that a lot of people are after so it gives that vinegar note which these people uh that live in north carolina are used to so it gives them that back and forth if they so choose just like a good sauce and then uh, with the turkey, uh, my favorite turkey I've ever eaten in my life that I'm consistent, uh, I always consistently say, is uh, Chef Ronnie Killen's turkey. It's mm. fantastic. Yeah, so yeah. he does a certain thing to turkey that most people can't, and most mostly everything he does because Ronnie's one of those guys that he wants to push the boundary. He just wants to make it the best. Best barbecue, period. That's his statement. He's been one of my mentors for a super, super long time. Um, you know, sausage, coarse ground beef, uh, mustard seed, red pepper flake, black peppers, yeah, paprika. You know, the
2: texture, the, the,
1: the you know, the chunkiness.
2: You're not just putting it all through the grinder. You're 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 putting it through at different grinds. Yeah, that's that, correct. Yeah, so that's, that's it great. does
1: that. It's all hand kneaded. Uh, just because I really I really can't get to the the mixer thing yet. I really just hand knead it still. There's one guy that works here that helps knead the sausage at night, and he's as diesel as it gets. It's um,
2: kind of like batter and, and dough. You, you can correct. feel it, when it's ready to yeah, go. You, yeah. you
1: feel when it's ready to go. It's all hand-linked in-house. Uh, we use um, casings out of Austin, um, and then we, we hand-link it, dries out. So it's a five-day process, right? You you, tr- you trim everything, you cure everything, you grind everything, you link everything. Then you got to have the sausages sitting in the walk-in to dry out the casing. Then you got to cold smoke them. Uh, we do an ice bath, too, in the middle, um, then bring them back up. Then we put them back in the walk-in, then they're ready for service the next day. Uh, we Right now, we have five different recipes of sausage. I know you can go wild with sausage. Bill Dumas is, like, <laughs> one of the coolest people <laughs> on Earth. I actually sent Justin to go spend some time with him. If you don't know... Or want to up your sausage game that's the dude to Absolutely. do it with i've I taken mean, his class and, yeah. and i've taken the a and m creative sausage making class and that's one well, thing yeah. i've been wanting to do uh but I, I never get a chance to get there uh sides you have there uh we have barbecue rice yeah, let's uh, talk about that because yeah, sure. that's very unique yeah so yeah. you know i'm puerto rican you know rice is just as important in the day as coffee so what we do is we take bacon fat and then we saute like super thinly cut onions And then once that's sauteed, we throw in the rice and we sear it. And this is all done in a cadero, which is a cast iron pot, a Puerto Rican cast iron pot. And then uh, we actually steam it in the pot with homemade beef stock. And then once that's finished, we finish it with house-made beef sausage. And this is something my my mother helped create. And uh, it's just very distinctive to my culture. And also, I want every part of my meat to tell a story of where I've been and you know, how it was created and my background. I just don't want to cook barbecue so that I can be a barbecue restaurant with a line or try to act like I'm Texan. Like I'm Texan. This is what I know. This is, I'm just telling you the story of where I'm from. And barbecue rice does that. We have cream corn. That's inspired by Ronnie Kellen. If you don't know Ronnie, Ronnie's, anything about Ronnie's killing. Is phenomenal. I, yeah, I went to them. the New York Food and Wine Festival with him and his team. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And we made so much cream. I, it was thousands of people. We made cream corn in 125 quart coolers. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. But I remember eating it and being like, "Oh my goodness gracious!" So uh, Ronnie helped me. That's one of the dishes he kind of helped me uh, evolutionize the cream corn. Uh, we have our boss beans, which is a little more of a Kansas City style boss bean. Um, you know, it's on the sweeter note. We have our competition rib rub in it. Uh, we have chopped brisket in it. We have the, what I call a Texas Ameripoil, which is carrots or pardon me, uh, celery, onion, green pepper. Uh, we have uh, extra dose of celery seed in there. Um, you know, we have two other things that we kind of add to bring it up. And then uh, a sw- signature sweet potato salad. We really don't like potato salad. All the potato salad you eat's all German-based, so it's mustard or white. And um, we got together. My brother's also a chef. A lot of people don't know that. He's a pretty talented chef up in Asheville. But he actually took local sweet potatoes, that's the state vegetable here in North Carolina, and he smoked them on the pit for six hours. He put them on my oiler, smoked them, chilled them, then peeled them, then created a uh, potato salad dressing out of it, and it was fantastic. It was unique. Uh, there, it's not even on Google. If you Google sweet potato salad, the only thing is it's a hot, sweet potato salad. They don't have a cold base. And we actually um, cook strips of bacon and then chop it up and add it to that potato salad so it's not like that pre-processed stuff. Uh, for dessert, we have our cobbler. I mean, served with bluebell ice cream. If you don't know anything very about cobblers, yes. oh my goodness, yes. this is very authentic. Just so you're aware, a lot of people that know this, I have an, an original 1990s uh, Bluebell Neon in my uh, restaurant. That's original OG. And um, a funny story is uh, Will Buckman of Corkscrew Barbecue and I, I was uh, cooking with him uh, one week and we're great friends. And I was chilling with them. We were talking about Bluebell, what it means in our lives. My mother... Would uh, get me bluebells, a special treat, because in our household, the two most expensive things that were purchased was bluebell and bacon. So we knew my dad got paid every time we had new bluebell <laughs> and bacon, <laughs> and how it connected my mother and I over cookies and cream, and that's what she ate while I was pregnant, or she was pregnant with me. And uh, Will happened to have the same story hmm. uh, with his grandmother, and but it was mint chocolate chip. And then we were like, "Hey, there's a tattoo parlor right behind." corkscrew and he was just there went out and we were sitting out back by the pits and then i was like hey let's get bluebell tattoos <laughs> and he was like oh yeah and it was kind of like a joke thing and you know i was my shift was early in the morning but i stayed till about midnight but i was still back at five well i went home to go get some rest and i was staying in richmond I got home, and then Will calls and was like, quite the hey. drive from spring. Yeah oh my gosh. And then Will calls and was like, "Hey, my tattoo guy's ready. Let's go." And it was n- no joke. like 10: 30, 11 at night, and we started getting these tattoos. So my legs, I have this giant cookies and cream uh, bluebell tattoo on the back of my leg, and he got mint chocolate chip. We did a post of it um, to Bluebell, and that's when the relationship started.
0: That's awesome. That is so awesome. Oh, wow, look, Brian. Yeah, that is amazing.
2: That, like, all, all he needs now is maybe a Bucky's tattoo. <laughs> like, you <laughs> you know? can't get much more Texan than yes. that. And, and, and this is Peach Cobbler. It's Peach Cobbler, and, yeah. And it's that, my mother's like, favorite. So, to me, that that connection to me is uh, Louie Miller with Peach Cobbler and Blue Bell as well. That's right. Um, I, I mean, you Texas, just can't. Yeah.
1: Uh, we have something called living your best bluebell life. So my goal is to give a, away all, as so. much bluebell <laughs> as possible to as many children as possible. So we stay really focused on that. With the banana pudding, obviously, it's a staple of North Carolina. We ele- this is a chef elevated dessert. So we we don't make pudding; we make a custard, a scratch made custard, uh, which one of my favorite banana puddings in the whole wide world. No joke is that rogel's barbecue mm-hmm. the bourbon banana the bourbon banana pudding as long as
2: they don't accidentally double the
1: bourbon oh my <laughs> we goodness. had that one, oh time. Yeah, one time. <laughs> i wouldn't even care i remember eating with him for the first time and he was such a gracious host and we were doing a tour i think robert Lerma was with us and we ate there. We actually ate at Papa Charlie's or uh, was it? was Papa yeah, Charlie's. Papa yeah. Charlie's yep. barbecue it was like a food truck. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was our third stop of the day. Then our fourth stop was his. Was just and going back a while. He loaded it up. Yeah, yeah. This is back a while. Uh, it's back in the day, as they say. And I remember being completely disgustingly stuffed <laughs> and then still eating that banana pudding. It was like, mm-hmm. holy crap. Yeah. So this has got bourbon in it too. We use a Biscoff cookie because you know they're made in Raleigh. It's a Belgium cookie you get it on a Delta flight, but they're made in Raleigh. So we added that instead of a vanilla wafer. The whipped cream is made from scratch by hand every day. You know, a little vanilla, little sugar, heavy cream, and a touch of salt. And that's hand whisked on top. So it's just, and literally the most insignificant amount of bananas hand chopped and sprinkled around. So really it's just a custard that has a little bit of banana and just a lot of depth and flavor.
2: I'll be honest, when I was when I was looking at the menu, and we looked at the sides. We were like, you know, we we saw the word signature sides, and we're like, yeah, but they don't sound very signature. That's but, right. But there is, I mean, I can absolutely taste the Killens' influence on the cream corn. Of course, yeah. um, and, and that's a great thing. Uh, but everything still has your unique twist on it, and and that's very impressive yeah. because it's it's hard to it's well, hard to do something like beans and have have them have a twist on it. That's
0: right. And I know Russell's going to listen to this. So Russell, you really need to try this banana pudding. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. it's it's delicious. Well, it's
1: it's completely yeah. through his influence. I mean, but it's a
0: completely different dish.
1: Like, I yeah, mean, no. it's it, I, I had to make it different. Yeah, I mean, he had it spot on, perfect, and if I wanted to make it my own, I had to. Tell my story. The reason why this banana pudding exists because of this person at this time influenced me, and that was my major focus. It wasn't just making, like honestly, you a know a how a many old ladies come in and they throw that against the wall because there's no <laughs> vanilla wafers. <laughs> that um, banana pudding is very serious in North Carolina. It's n- it's no joke. It is. Is it served hot a lot of times? Yes, too? here uh, it's served hot, and hot banana pudding's excellent. It is one I of agree. my favorite things. Uh, I love to do is to eat the banana pudding. Custard hot, and I'll put it over like a croissant or something like that, and I'll have it for breakfast. Nice. I know that's it, it's kind of a fat boy tactic, but <laughs> I, I own it, I'm okay with mm-hmm. it.
0: So, l- bringing it back a little bit as you know, as we're sitting here eating this delicious spread of food, let's get to how this building came to be, how this restaurant came to be. Sure. Um, I know this was a lot of planning and a lot of work came into the final product that we see here today, so let you us know a little some,
2: bit. Some struggles with the timing from from
0: everything. Right. Yeah, yeah.
1: everything, yeah. Else, so yeah. Uh, It was probably eight years ago when I knew, seven years ago, when I knew I wanted to, it's time to do the barbecue thing. And uh, we needed to find a home-based church, so to speak, where people could come and congregate. And we were heavy on the circuit competition. We were heavy on teaching. Uh, I started doing TV shows. The book came out. So I was heavy, like, promoting all these things. But I knew... I needed to have a home base and really, um, I lived in Windell at the time. It's the, the, the town above, Nightdale. And, uh, we were like, okay, we want to open a barbecue restaurant. How do we do this? I had r- actually drawn this barbecue restaurant. It's in my office when I was 19 on the back of a napkin while I was working at a restaurant. And it's pretty much exactly the same design, except for the pit rooms a little bigger. Obviously I needed more pits and, uh, why we're here is because we felt called to this town you know um, my wife and i my family we're we're believers so we're we're christians and we we have a great relationship with the lord and he kind of leads and guides our stories and you know where i wanted this what do you think i wanted this to be richmond rosenberg baby (laughs) i wanted to get a house pecan grove i wanted to open the new biggest thing but ara had already beat me to that so i knew that was out of the question I wanted to be back in Texas because I had an opportunity to kind of be where I wanted, but we felt called to the town of Nightdale because it was a sleepy town and it was up and coming. um, Also to the fact that it would be the rising tide. You know, I, I really started thinking about it. We were going to be more popular areas, but then I thought, well, what's the point in being, you know, one of the other boats, you know, when you go deep sea fishing, all the boats go together and they all deep sea fish in the same areas. But I like the deep sea fisherman who goes the other direction. And we always come back with more fish. Well,
2: you, in your history of, of swinging door, too, you, you want to bring that home base to other people as
1: well. That was, that was the nail that did it. Like, I, I had someone, one of my mentors, speak what I spoke back to me. Well, I thought you said you wanted to be like the the shining light I thought you said you wanted to be the rising tide I thought you said you want to be the destination place like it was when you were a kid and that's pretty much why I'm like okay nightdale now if you look at nightdale now and you drive up you're like wow this is so amazing you're so smart for picking this location when we bought this land it was all a farm now mind you there wasn't any plans unfolding for this we did it completely on faith we felt that the Lord called us here And we're supposed to just obey that command. And he unfolds that. Well, that was great. Right. And then everything started being planned. I already had all the plans. Architectural drawings took no time. My cousin who lived in Houston and when we were great friends, I always said I wanted to open a barbecue restaurant. He wanted to be engineer and he said, I want to build your barbecue restaurant. He actually built this place and A&M Aggie structural engineer. He got a certification here in North Carolina to build prime barbecue and that's there's like a lot of stories in that throughout the building but anyway we it took 2 years and 2 days to build this building if you know anything about building that is a super long yeah, and time and this is a ground up though too ground up scratch this is all woods as far as you can see but i didn't care we we're going to cut out our little bit of woods and do our thing now the whole time it started happening and it started coming together and you start seeing your vision layout you're going to start going man i got it going on I am going to, I'm going to grow something great. And I really thought that. And, uh, honestly, um, I started really focusing on myself and not the purpose of the business. And I thank the Lord every day for that February, see that February, I was uh, traveling with my team throughout Florida and we were at MLB spring training camps, cooking, barbecue, doing our thing. We were going to come back here, shoot a, t- a big time TV show, and then open a restaurant. I mean, that was on fire. I was like, I got it going on. I am the greatest thing in barbecue. I, I, I. And then I realized that the center of sin is the letter I. And when I start saying that a lot, I start seeing my demise. And I remember being going to Jupiter, Florida, actually in the car and the producer of that show called me and going, Hey, I think we're going to delay the show a little bit. Something's happening. I don't know yet. Something in China, some type of, you I was like, Oh, I'm not worried about that. I Googled it and I saw it was coronavirus. I was like, oh, Who cares about that? We're going to do our thing. But when we're flying back, I started seeing my calendar and my event director start deleting events, big time events. And I remember landing at RDU and getting a call from the producer. We're canceling the show. I was like, well, that's terrible. But I still have, you know, my Ronnie Killens, my Will Buckman's all my crew, all my my posse coming into the restaurant up. And we're going to have this big grand opening Wounded Warrior Project. Big, big time bands. We've hired contracts for huge. It's going to be awesome. You know, I'm going to be great. Nope. They shut everything down. I had spent two years and two days and a lifetime dreaming of this moment, and I couldn't have one person in this building, not one, legally allowed in my building. All the staff I had hired weeks before I left the Florida, aces, all aces, they left. They were scared. They wouldn't have a job. And the only thing I had left to depend on is the Lord Well, you took me this far. And all the things that I leaned on before to make this place great don't exist anymore. Literally. I can't, I can't even force it. I can't force my friends to go on a plane and fly here for their health. This is a very serious thing. And not only that, but it slowed and delayed down the work, you know, steel prices went through the roof. That delayed it for like months and months and months trying to get steel here for the building. Uh, Then there was the delay of COVID. So I didn't even finish out the restaurant. Then I opened May of 2020. Couldn't have one person. I had to pivot the whole business to car side carryout. It was terrible. You couldn't get a clamshell, a disposable silverware. I couldn't get ingredients for my stuff. But the one thing that was consistent was my meat because I had good relationships. So I literally sat at the bar every morning. The, the bar that faces uh, not a bar, but there's a bar that faces nightdale that you can eat. I would call it eating with nightdale. I sat there every morning and prayed like this is yours. Honestly, I have nothing left. Like, it's either you make it great, or I do something else. But it's completely in your hands. And uh, I remember that first day coming in. We loaded the pits. We stayed up all night. We hoped the printers printed. And I remember the printer blinking a red light because it ran out of paper. And then looking behind the printer station, it just being a giant cloud of receipts. And then I put in new paper, and that printer wouldn't stop printing. It just would not stop printing. So much so that we didn't have any barbecue to <laughs> make up for all these orders. And that's what kind of started Prime Barbecue. And I realized ever since that day that I will never have the plan or be in control. I need to stay focused on the main thing in life. And that's knowing God's plan and following that. Knowing that my family and my purpose will always be more important than this barbecue place. That this is how we steward ourselves and our community. How I steward myself... And the barbecue community, how I steward myself with individuals that work with me. That's the most important part because now I, I, I am how I lead and how I steward myself matters in people's lives. Now my employees, my team, and I have to answer the why each and every day they're here busting their humps and the hardest thing you can do, which is barbecue. You know, I, I think you said it really well too. You talked about
2: telling a story with your food and all of those influences that you've told us about, how that has shaped you and how that has shaped your food, you can really, you can really see that come through. Yeah, it,
0: the the passion for what you do shines through on the plate, you know, and, and the passion for and and it also is a testament to the team that you've built, hmm. because you can have all the passion in the world, but if you don't have a group
1: around you that Gotta has answer their why, yeah. you know, they're not going to follow me. I always tell them, "Hey, you want to look at me to be great? I'm going to fail you." I tell that to my children. You want a perfect dad? That's not me. I will let you down. I will fail you. That is not uh, an if, but a win. But your father in heaven never fails you a bit. He's consistently always validating and saying, you're enough. Today's hard. I know it's hard. But you're going to get up and do what I called you to do. And that gives you the endurance. I don't require people's validation anymore to get up in the morning and grind at this business. Because just by simply waking up, I'm enough. Without one person giving me a great review, without one person saying I have the best barbecue, the best restaurant or the best executed style or any of that. I'm just enough just by existing. Now I have a tool and that's to connect people and I'm going to do my darndest to make sure it's exactly meant to be beyond the tray of meat. I tell people all the time, I can, I mean, I've cooked barbecue since I was a kid. Like I'm 92 in barbecue years. I can give you the best barbecue you've had in your life, the best. And you guys can sit here and say, honestly, this is the most flawless barbecue i have ever had. You can say that, by the way. <laughs> I'm not gonna stop you. But just know that you could say that. We to already me. did a list
0: and got in enough trouble there. <laughs> and then yeah. You can, oh yeah, that'll get you in trouble. <laughs> uh,
1: and then you can say, man, I can't eat another bite. I can die happy right now. I hear that all the time, right? But you know what the irony is. No matter how much you make this perfect, people are always going to reach for a pop tart and a coffee in the morning, because this will merely satisfy you. You will or, never, or in f- a perfect world, the leftovers that you repurpose that, that's true. <laughs> that, that is true. Is, <laughs> like like
2: brisket and eggs is oh well, my, my gosh, favorite. Beef rib and eggs for me. Yeah. Oh that, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: But yeah. true fulfillment will never come from this plate of barbecue. My life's work perfected to you guys, barbecue critics that love it and eat it all the time. It will never be perfect to you. What will fulfill you, though, is the things beyond this barbecue tray. How I love and value you as people, how I steward my business, how I love and value and understand my my placement in the leadership role within my restaurant, how I steward and love and lead my family. Those are beyond the barbecue. And those are the new things I'm trying to bring in the barbecue humidity into my brand, into how I. Flush out whatever this is in the barbecue world, or what I'm meant to do.
2: Now you can you can certainly come and eat the barbecue, and and get a taste of all of this. But as you mentioned earlier, you know you're also spreading the word and teaching people. Continuing today, um, yeah. let's let's kind of wrap this up a little bit and get to. Um, how can they get to these classes and sure. and other places where they can they can see you and, and interact with you?
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so we do uh, we try and do four main classes a year at the restaurant. I shut down the restaurant for two days. I started inviting uh, who I consider very talented pitmasters in their own right. I mean, there are too many to name, to be honest. And I can invite anybody, so there isn't like. It's really, I've invited some and they just don't fit their schedule. I'm just trying to make it diversified. You know, the class, I want it to be more about the passion and the purpose of barbecue rather than, hey, let's learn a technical class about competition barbecue. There's enough of that, to be honest. Um, my first class was with Ed Mitchell, who I consider one of the, the founding fathers of barbecue. I mean, his stories alone, you can just hold every word in your hand. And he his approach and theory to barbecue isn't like anyone else's. But the proof is always in the barbecue. That's what I love about him. He's like, okay, cool. That's not the way you should do it. I get it. I get it. But try it. And then you tell me like everyone. I've never heard anyone say I have the worst rib recipe you've ever had. Let me show it to you. Everyone's always got the best of course. Right. Few people can prove it. And Ed Mitchell can prove that. And he's proved it for a long, long time. Uh, Now his son is proving it. Uh, He's known as the barbecue prince. I don't know who called him that, but that's what he is. <laughs> and I give him all tribute because he cooks awesome like his father. Um, the last class I did was with Brendan Lamb. Uh, we were always pretty good friends. You know, we, we caught each other in Austin a couple of times. Uh, went to Law Barbecue. I first met him. He was the head pit master there. Cool dude, if you know anything about him. He's just Absolutely. a cool dude. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Loves the military. A uh, you know, awesome. He's done a lot of <laughs> hilariously... B movies if you've ever seen one of his <laughs> movies he was a vampire by the way in a movie you have to watch it it's hilarious but uh, we became really great friends because we were quarantined together during barbecue brawl uh, him I and Ara were basically you know the Texas boys so we just got you know we were just bound together by that fact and uh, you know, we just vibed well with Brendan. We thought he had he's one of the greatest sausage makers. I mean, he's really talented at making sausage and trimming brisket. I used to watch his brisket trimming videos back in the day. Yeah. You go and on Instagram live all the time. Yeah. And, and just trim briskets yeah. at yeah. law. Right. Yeah. So I would be like, this is awesome. Like, I like how consistent he is and he's flipping the fat with his knife. And, you know, there's just a lot of tactics. Um, he's just a great all around human being. We went to Fort Worth as we do every February. Uh, We teach classes. We mentor with some people out in Fort Worth. And uh, we hung out with Brendan. He came out with us at Goldie's, with Terry Black's Pecan Lodge. We ate a lot of Babes, which is a a fun place out in uh, Dallas, chicken fried steak I'm pretty obsessed with. And then I was like, hey, bro, we should do a class. We should do a little collab thing. And he came out and crushed it here. He actually stodged for a few days with us, guest cutted, um, taught our staff a few things about what he knows. but really, we're just vibing off each other. We're not like, hey, you teach me your secrets. I teach you mine. We're just hanging out. He stayed in my personal home. I've had uh, S.O. Ramos from 2M Smokehouse. We're great friends. He came. He spent the day after Christmas all through New Year's with us. You know, on New Year's, you know what we did on New Year's Eve? We had seven pits going in my driveway. (laughs) And through New Year's, everyone's celebrating with fireworks. We're sitting there late at night watching all these fires, just cooking wild amounts of barbecue. He stayed with me. I took him to North Carolina barbecue. This this year, we're having Sam Jones come out in November. It's a huge class. He's going to be teaching whole hog. Uh, it's gonna be wild too. Uh, we're gonna we're actually gonna, gonna go later today. To, uh, yeah, we're
0: gonna go. We're gonna yeah. go to the same yeah, place later today. Yeah, you're gonna love
2: later it. Today. Crispy skin, oh, everything. There, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, there. Yes, You
1: know, a yes, lot of people yes. don't understand the cornbread, but you gotta understand it's like a very <laughs> old recipe. Yeah. And to me, I always say, smear the pork, smear the slaw. It's gotta be. It's a good vessel when you put a lot on it, but eating it straight up, you're not gonna love it. And what? And the main thing is, don't eat it the next day eat it that day (laughs) yeah Um, it's i mean what he has is four generations of tradition right sam is one of my favorite storytellers that's ever existed on the face of the earth he's a heck of a singer heck of a human being uh him and michael are fantastic we're gonna do the pinehurst invitational this weekend with them they're invited pitmaster. uh but you know with the invitational we have going on at pinehurst what i'm trying to create is i'm trying to get the up-and-comers Because if you watch barbecue festivals now, it's all the same folks all the time. And they're all great in their own right. Let me tell you, the people who come, you know, some of them are new, but they're, you know, consistently the same ones. Uh, Like one of my favorites, when I did Fox and Friends in New York, I got invited to pull the grand opening side off this place called Hoodoo Brown in Connecticut. I didn't know these guys. Literally, I went all the way to Connecticut. Pulled out the sign, ate some barbecue, chatted for like 15 minutes, signed some cookbooks, and then I went back to New York and I flew right out. And I was like, "Who are these guys? This is fantastic barbecue!" And now, you know, obviously they're everywhere. But um, yeah, so w- Pinehurst is all about bringing up the up-and-comers, the people who need that shot. Hey, if you get it, run with it. Because guess what? I didn't get to where I wa- where I am by myself. There was a lot of mentors and a lot of people who took the time speak life into me and to give me my shot and that was up to me to run with it and make it my own purpose and that's what I did so these these uh, classes you can go to uh, prime barbecues website uh, barbecue dot-com you can go to the events page so you see all the stuff we're doing we were doing a red dirt festival here we did Pinehurst we're doing the private classes But you go to info at prime-barbecue.com, bbq.com, and that's where you can send your request in and sign up for the class. Uh, They're two days long, very extensive, really intense, multiple pits, multiple fires, multiple wood smoking, kind of like an A&M thing, right? They do it right. They go over every nuance to eliminate We've been able to go to, to both barbecue and brisket camp. Genius. Yeah. Genius. It's great great camp. way to experience it. Everyone yeah. tries to replicate it. And uh, actually, NC State is trying to do that now, trying to have hmm. a barbecue boot camp, uh, which they asked me to be one of the speakers and things out, which I'm very honored. But I saw it. It was successful. They have a meat science section. But A&M's, I mean, is A&M. I mean, oh, you can't you replicate yeah, yeah. College can't, Station anywhere else. Can't, yeah.
2: Um, You've also got a cookbook people can buy, uh, The Ultimate Book of Barbecue.
1: Yeah, it's on its seventh print, so I'm really excited about that. That's one of the highest prints that Southern Living's ever had in a cookbook. Uh, You know, being dyslexic and being told that I'm not a good reader or a good writer my whole life, uh, you know, glass ceilings are above you to be broken. And I did that with this cookbook, took me a whole year to write. Uh, you can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. If you actually Amazon it to my restaurant, I personally sign it, and I pay for it to be shipped back, and I always throw a swag in there. No, that's Yeah, wonderful. throw in a koozie or a hat or a signed shirt or something. Um, I'm just honored to still be able to sign a cookbook. Awesome.
2: And any anything upcoming other than classes or cookbooks um, that you're working on? Uh, you know, first certainly
1: come to the restaurant. Come to the,
2: the. By the time this airs, the Pioneer's event will already be over. Sure, yeah, sure. That's right. AM.
1: So uh, I'm working on a new brand and trying to identify myself singularly away. That was a hard word to say away from prime barbecue. Not that I'm it's not a part of who I am. I'm just trying to tell a different story now I'm trying to be something different in the barbecue world. I I feel like I know my path and I'm starting the barbecue nerd brand. Um, And it's if anyone who knows who I am, I'm a super big nerd when it comes to barbecue. So I'm starting that pathway. It's going to be a lot of teaching, mentoring, public speaking, um, a different approach in barbecue, trying to do fusion style sauces and rubs, things that I've had in my notes for a long time. Um, I'm going to be partnering with really great people. uh, So I'm really excited about that. Uh, I'm also starting. Well, I guess it's not going to be secret if I say on the show, but I know barbecue nerds listen to the show. I have a secret speakeasy pop-up restaurant I'm opening up only at night behind my restaurant. That's actually where we're sitting here is the kids area. But I wanted to continue my creativity without needing to dip into a whole nother restaurant. So I myself will be in a food truck late at night, uh, a couple nights a week. There's no Facebook. There's no Instagram. There's no way you can find out about this restaurant. But it's called Primo. And it's the Spanish side of who I am. And it's the opposite side of barbecue. So it's all Latin American cooking. So I have had pits made in Lima, Peru. We're going to have to show him Manola's pit. Yeah, yeah. We'll show you you a couple of things. Yeah, the the Lima, Peru uh, pits here i have all my approaches would we'll be doing mafongo acapurias empanadas we have a big trumpo we'll be doing pastor tacos brisket fat tortillas it's kind of like a valentina's inspired side can i selfishly ask
0: for pastelas for christmas uh, well, <laughs> i do you know that coquito
1: we gotta make that uh, well, my plus, dad might actually listen the, to the front now. area will have t- tables to play dominoes and cards just old nostalgic puerto rican Very stuff cold. i really Latin think
2: is going on in the background for sure yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah. No live bands. We have a stage oh, even, being oh, built. Oh, awesome! Um, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm re- reversing back to my father. Like I want to be just like my dad. Yes. Want to be like my dad and just listen to old Puerto Rican records <laughs> and just cook rice and, you know, I don't know something about it just brings me back. I I re- reflect a lot on my abuelo. I just visited my abuelo in Puerto Rico and, I just you know I want to make him proud and and don't forget where you come from. That's what my mother always says to me. Never forget where you came from. You know, my parents came here and worked really hard to get me where I'm at. And uh, I'm just, I want to make them proud in every every aspect of our heritage of Puerto Rican um, styles. Awesome. That's uh, That sounds fantastic.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, good. I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to get out here for that. I'm going to have to find a way to get out here for that. I have family in North Carolina. I can make it happen. I got a sister in Salisbury. That's close enough.
2: <laughs> hey, it's just it's just a long day's drive for right, us. Right, right. Yeah. All right, All Christopher,
0: right. thank you so much for, for the time, and, and the meal was fantastic, and congratulations on everything that, that you've built with your team and with your family. Um, we're we're excited for what you've got already, what you're going to continue to, to keep building and teaching and showing the barbecue world.
1: Yeah, oh, I'm honored to be here and honored to just be a small part of the community and just trying to keep pushing us forward. Absolutely. I'll Thanks, see. guys, and we'll talk with you next time.
2: Thank you.